Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. We're live. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Talk Chicago crossover edition. John's a glue Joey Christopoulos here, and we decided let's meet up tonight. Uh, great night to meet up. Great night to talk. Cut day is over. Cubs won. White Sox are in turmoil. There's so much Chicago sports stuff going on, and um, we decided to meet up, go live, and discuss as much of it as we can in this action-packed hour. If you're just tuning in, comment. We're going to read your comments live right here on the air. We're live on YouTube, live on Twitch. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago. Follow Joey on Twitter at Joey Sports Guy. Follow myself at John G Sports. Joey, great to see you, my friend. We have a lot to discuss tonight. Nothing much going on at Chicago sports, right? <laughs> nothing, nothing going on at all. Uh, uh, so excited to be here, John. Uh, you know, we've got six wonderful burning questions here for our audience. Yeah, jump in the chat. We'll answer your questions for you. And it's just great to do this, John. I mean, if you look back just a year or two ago, you know, we were both producing content at that time. And if you look at the landscape of Chicago sports, I mean, it was it was a nuclear wasteland. I mean, we'll get to the White Sox in a second. But you know what I mean? Like, I mean, Justin Fields, we're a week away from week one, make or break season, the Chicago Cubs turning in the right direction, Connor Bedard. I mean, there's a lot more to wrap your hands around and hug with the Chicago sports right now. And I can't wait to get in with you. Yeah, Joey, it's great to have you here. There is so much to talk about. You know, a couple of years ago, we were debating the uh, Mitch Trubisky issue. Remember those dark days of Bears football? Now we sit here today, and we're talking about the Bears potentially making the playoffs. That's our first burning question of the evening. Joey, I'll start with you on this. Are the Bears somehow, some way, in playoff contention in 2023? I mean, are they in the Kornacki graphic? The answer is yes, in my opinion. Uh And here's the reason why. The first one is, let's just keep it on paper at first right now. They have the ninth easiest schedule in the NFL. They kind of lucked out a little bit on that this year after what they had to do last year. Um, You know, when you start to go through the list, you start to look at all the names and all the different stuff on the list. You start to say to yourself, how does this Chicago Bears team win not at least eight or nine games, which puts them into the conversation for the playoffs? I think anything less than seven, John, is a complete disappointment. And we need to start looking with a microscope you know, get the blame pie out and start figuring out, is it the quarterback, is it the head coach, is it the roster construction, if it's less than seven wins. But if you look at the schedule, John, I mean, man, they got the commanders on there. They got the Raiders at home. They got the Falcons. They got the Cardinals. That's just four right off the top right there. And that's not even mentioning that we went 0-6 against the NFC North last year. That can't happen again. If it does happen again, get the blame pie out, right? So if you had two or three wins to that category right there, all of a sudden you're at six or seven, baby before you even know it. So I'm on board with the, the Chicago Bears should be in playoff contention. I'm calling nine wins at this particular time right now. Whether that gets them in or not will be a different story. I mean, what say you? I mean, this, this training camp has been a little choppy. These injuries have been concerning, John. So with a week to go, man, where are you landing on this one? Are they, are they going to be a playoff-type team? Are they ready to take on the Packers week one? On a separate side note, you mentioned the Falcons. I just have to say, I read a, a very interesting article last week, and it said that they don't know Desmond Ritter's the guy, but it almost doesn't matter because the NFC South is so weak. So I just wanted to make sure you mentioned the Falcons, Desmond Ritter. I wanted to make sure I put that out there. But as far as playoff viability for this team. Okay, and real, quick, real, quick, this, real quick, the Chicago Bears T-shirt. Uh, the quarterback doesn't matter. Uh, can we make those T-shirts right now? We've been printing them, we've been printing them since 1985. So uh, good luck and God bless Falcons. I now see the floor back to you. Desmond Ritter on the chopping block already out there in Atlanta, but maybe it doesn't matter. Who knows, right? Sounds like some great media spin that we see in Chicago, if you all know what I'm talking about. Anyway, let's talk about the Bears here. Playoff run, playoff stuff. Um, Joe, I'm in agreement with you. You know, I said from the beginning, Ryan Poles decided to start spending serious money on this team during the offseason. We got to see results coming with it. 
Uh, nine to 10 wins is certainly reasonable. It, it's certainly attainable. And anything less than even that, I'd say, is a disappointment. I'm even going to say eight or seven is more of a disappointment. They have spent so much money this offseason. They've brought in the best of the best. They have decided to invest in Justin Fields directly and indirectly by trading the number one freaking pick for DJ Moore, keeping Darnell Mooney around, Chase Claypool. All of a sudden, their wide receiving core, I think, is pretty strong, especially compared to last year. Don't know why they kept Bellis Jones Jr., but that's a discussion for another day. Nevertheless, their wide receiving core is there. The run game is there. Justin Fields is hopefully poised for a breakout. And the defense is going to be fine. I think the offensive line uh, has some injury issues and things that they need to work out before the season. I know Tevin Jenkins is going to be on the IR. That's a little bit concerning as well. But overall, big picture. Uh, this team better be winning nine or ten games. This team better be in it on the last day of the football season. Now, if they don't make and they go nine and eight, I can live with that. But if they're going seven and ten and they're out of this, or if they go, I don't know, five and third, five and twelve or something, and they're out of it early on. Like you said, Joey, we're going to have to start talking about who's to blame, what's the problem, what can they do to improve, and who needs to lose their job at season's end. This is a big year for them. And I want to say this, too, and I'm sure you've heard this, Joey, as well, on a number of different stations and just media outlets throughout this city. I am not okay with saying 5-12 and 12 is an improvement. Good job, Bears. Let's look to next year. 2024 is not the year for the Bears. It might be the year in terms of a Super Bowl. But in terms of just making the playoffs and being better, this is the year to do it. We don't need to wait around for 2024 based on the money that was spent and the personnel that's on this team right now. So nine or 10 wins without question is where they should be. Anything lost, I'm going to say that's a pretty big failure on the part of either the players, Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus. Somebody's going to be blamed by season's end if they don't live up to those expectations. And John, I'm going to follow up here right now. You know who I don't want to hear is blamed for this one? And Bears fans, we're going to do it, and it's okay. I forgive you already, so go forth and be well. But here's the deal. I don't want to hear week seven, week eight. You know what the real problem is, John? That defensive coordinator, Alan Williams. You know, that's the stuff <laughs> that I think uh, – that is – so, John, to me, John, to me, that is the sweep it under the carpet narrative that I think blow out the bigger picture, that if things go wrong with this football team, we're going to have some easy culprits. I think the first one, obviously, we're going to start a quarterback. And we're not, we're going to, we're going to save him just for a little bit because he just may or may not be in one of our burning questions here in this next hour. But it's either the quarterback or the defensive system or the defensive scheme. Like, look, with Matt Eberflus last year, I think one of the biggest knocks on him was we applauded him when he made second half adjustments. But now let's see in your second year, can you make those adjustments in the second quarter? Can we move up the time? before we're on our heels with our gap discipline and we're blowing, you know, edge, you know, guys are going around the edge and running for eight or nine yards. Can we get to that a little bit quicker? And then as you mentioned, and I think you're so right to mention this is that I know everything's hunky dory with Ryan Poles right now, but there is a very healthy amount of pressure that should be on Ryan Poles based on his roster construction and the money that he has doled out this season. So what I don't want to hear is that if things are going wrong week seven, week eight, man, if we just get rid of Allen Williams, Justin Fields, and it kind of transitions into our second question, which is where will Justin Fields be by season's end? What will be the expectations? What will people be saying about Fields when it's all said and done? And I'm going to start with this, Joey, because you brought up a good point. This is another big year for Fields. So it's not a year in terms of easy, even an NFL quarterback. We saw last year that he's for sure 100% competent. He's competent no matter what. He's definitely a top 20 QB in the NFL today based on his electricity, running the football, mm -hmm. his ability to pass, um, didn't have many weapons. So we're going to see him with weaponry offensively that could even boost up those numbers even more. 
But I know there's no question that he is capable of being a passable NFL quarterback, no matter what. He's a C-plus quarterback. The question I think this year is going to be, will he take the next step and become good? I'm not saying he's going to be great, and I'm not asking him to be the NFL MVP this season. That would be outrageous. <laughs> but there's some people saying he will be. I think that's way too much to ask of him. But I think at the end of the year, what we should be saying, if, if things go according to plan, is he's now good. He's not just competent. He's not just a C, C-plus quarterback. He's a B-plus, A-minus QB with the potential to be a superstar. Um, if he does not get to that point, if he's not throwing for you know some random numbers here, but minimum 3,500 yards, maybe 25, 30 touchdowns, 10 picks, and in minimum 750, 800 rushing yards. If he does not get to those numbers, and then this team can't win with him, even more so, we're going to have a serious problem when it comes to Justin Fields at the end of this year. And make no mistake, I know people are watching right now, are probably going to kill me. Oh, he hates Justin Fields. I don't hate anybody. I want this kid to succeed. I want him to do well. But we have to prepare and brace for the reality that is maybe he's just competent. Maybe he'll never be great. He's Every year for a quarterback in the NFL, you are taking steps up and up the ladder to get better and better and better. That's just the nature of the game and how it goes. So he needs to take a second step, or really a third step, because he went from run to the litter, thrown into a horrible situation, Matt Nagy screwed him, to, okay, he's a competent quarterback, to now, okay, he is a good quarterback. He could lead this team to be a fringe playoff contender. And the year after that, or two years after that, wow, he's a superstar. He's a finalist for the NFL MVP. What say you, Joey? Well, I stream John. So full disclosure, everybody. I may or may not have spent ten dollars on a twenty-five to one ticket for Justin Fields to win win the MVP. I'm going to blame <laughs> it on the nitrous oxide at Las Vegas Hotel. Um, look, I know it's couch change, right? I was having some fun. I'm not saying that he's winning the MVP, um, but you're bringing up a great point, and 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 I do think that there is a version of this where this is a little bit of a make or break season for Justin Fields. And I think that you really accurately just kind of pointed out that we've seen probably C-plus play from Justin Fields. I have a couple of certainties right now. One is I don't think that, that that grade or that level of play is going to dip below that. I don't think Justin Fields is going to be bad. I think Justin Fields has the potential to be great. I think what that middle area is is where we're going to be looking over and debating and talking over consistently. Now, John, I'll be honest with you. Every quarterback goes through this where they have to cross that bridge, right, and take that next step into the level of, can we win a Super Bowl with this quarterback? You know, I think the Dallas Cowboys are maybe still asking themselves that very same question about a guy like Dak Prescott. And it's very fair. A lot of different franchises deal with this, so we're not alone. But if Justin Fields comes out and he plays C-plus football, like you just mentioned, I think that's when we move on from Justin Fields, right? I think we need to see incremental progress into that B-minus, that B, that B-plus area. I don't need to see an A plus. So to turn it back to you, I mean, my question for you is, you know, what will we say about Justin Fields and what's going to mean more to you, John, and whoever's in the chat right now, is it going to be, and look, this is a double-edged sword. This is not an easy question to answer, but what's going to mean more to you at season's end, John? Justin Fields, the guy who wins football games and maybe his numbers aren't that great, or Justin Fields, the guy who's maybe losing 35 to 31, but his numbers look awesome, right? Now, the easiest thing to say is win football games, of course, but, you know, we saw Mitch Trubisky win football games, and he wasn't the answer. We saw Kyle Orton win football games was not the answer. You could also say the numbers side of things. You know, is he contributing to all, a team that could be great one day and we not there roster-wise? You know, what's going to weigh more for you? What, what do you think is going to mean more? The look and the feel of the production that he's putting up on a weekly basis, defense be damned or maybe a guy that's winning football games in the fourth quarter, something he struggled at doing last year. Man, this is a scary question. And full disclosure, I hope the Bears don't have to face this situation because they've made wrong decisions based off of these situations in the past. As you mentioned, uh, to an extent with Mitch Trubisky, to an extent with Kyle Orton, I would say this. If Justin Fields plays at an MVP caliber rate, if he has a 100 passer rating, 4,000 yards, and the team goes 5-12, and 12, well, that's when you know that it's actually not a Justin Fields issue. It's a roster construction issue. It's a Matt Eberflus issue. Yeah. It's a Ryan Poles issue. It's a team talent issue. So I'd almost rather it be that because you know what? You could always change that stuff up. I'm not saying you fire Ryan Poles or, or fire Matt Eberflus, but if you go 5-12 and 12 at Justin Fields as an MVP-type year, 
I'm actually okay with that. I'd rather that be the case than Fields kind of skating by C-level football, even D-level football, but everybody else is bailing him out week in and week out. Because as we've seen in the past, a quarterback who continually gets bailed out, eventually that's going to stop. Eventually there's going to come a time where there is no more bailing out. Rex Grossman, Super Bowl, anybody remember that? There, there was no more <laughs> bailing out by that point. It was, oh, crap, we have a really bad quarterback. We made it all over to the Super Bowl somehow with him, and now we're going to lose the big game. I don't want the Bears to ever be in that situation. I'd rather them go 7-10, and 6-11, and 11, and have Justin Fields perform at a point in which he just is a finalist, or maybe he is the, maybe he is the MVP. I highly doubt it, but maybe he does win the award. Rather than, hey, you know what? John, come on, keep saying it. <laughs> I'd rather that be the case than, hey, you know, kind of an okay year, uh, kind of passed by, maybe yeah. like, oh, he had 20 touchdowns and 15 picks, but they, they made it to the NFC Divisional round. That's not really going to cut it for me because eventually it's going to catch up to you and you're going to be exposed as a fraud sooner rather than later. What do you say to that, though? Well, so here, here's the one thing about Justin Fields, and uh, and I did mention this. We got a season preview coming up of Believe in Bears uh, with Corey yeah. Wooten coming up on Sports Talk Chicago probably early next week. Um, you know, I said this to Corey, and here's where here, here's where the rubber meets the road with Justin Fields, and this is what makes it so difficult for me personally. Is that look, we can we are in an age now where we are we are thirsty and voracious for stats. Um, efficiency ratings, advanced numbers, metrics, all sorts of things. We now actually have these projection models that let you know exactly what a player is going to be or do before he even made it. They had the Chicago Cubs at mid-70 wins, and now they're on there for a high 80s. I digress on those numbers. But here's the thing about Justin Fields, and it makes him so hard. And, John, here's the thing is that when you watched him last year, I would say that there was probably three to five plays a game that Justin Fields would make out of whole cloth um, that, that had nothing to do with the stats or a metric or a projection or anything that, forgive me, you know, an AI computer can pump out. You know, those 60-yard touchdowns when you make eight guys miss at one time, there's no projecting that. We cannot predict that on a weekly basis, and that's what made Justin Fields so entertaining and fun to watch. Now, two things can be true. One, is he going to be able to do that in his whole career? No. He is going to have to learn the position of quarterback um, over time. But what is nice about what's going on with his situation right now is because of those three to five plays a game, it can maybe give him a leg up to open other aspects up, you know, whether it is the downfield passing with DJ Moore, maybe it is the easier throws that they keep hammering him about with in training camp. And look, we just can't predict it. That's what's going to make this season so fascinating is I can't tell you when that play is going to come. Right, you know, we can kind of be like, oh, the Bears, you know, Matt Nagy's just going to run it on third and five. We've been able to play that game. We can't play that game with Justin Fields because there's three to five plays a game that we just can't imagine. And, and that's what's going to be so interesting to watch, and that's how we're going to have to also pick and parcel and be really smart Bears fans about what good quarterback play is and isn't. Um, to this point, Justin's done that on his own. He's put himself in a position to become a really good, maybe even Pro Bowl quarterback. But, man, that's what makes him so fascinating and makes him so fun to watch is, man, I don't know what he's going to do on a week-to-week basis. If he rips off an 80-yarder against the Packers and plays bad, what, what do we do with that? I, you know, I'm not sure yet, and that's going to be an interesting uh, developing story to unfold as the season goes along. Got John and Joey live here on Sports Talk Chicago. We're live on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel, Sports Talk Chicago. I host uh, the flagship program, if you will. But Joey hosts his own program, also hosts Believe in Bears with former Bear Corey Wooten. They're doing some great content ahead of the Bears season and, of course, during. We're also live on Twitch over at Sports Talk Chicago. Follow Joey at Joey Sports Guy on Twitter, or X, as they say now, and John Z Sports over on Twitter as well. Um, let's talk about, and let's move over to some baseball. There is so much going on here. Um, I want to get into a couple of Cubs things, and I know you and I had kind of previously discussed this, and I, I kind of want to go twofold on the Cubs. I do want to start with this one, and we'll get into the fun one later because the other one would be really exciting if it occurred. But how prepared are the Cubs for a potential playoff appearance? Now, right now, they hold a spot in the wild card. They're three games out in the division with, you know, what, 35 games left to go. So they're, they're, they're in it over there in the division, too, against Milwaukee. How prepared are they for the postseason? Because, Joey, if they get in, it's a huge accomplishment. What they're even doing now, they're, they're exceeding expectations. But what about as far as playoffs go? How far could they go? What are their limitations? Because 
I have some questions to say the least, but I want you to start. You know, here's what I'll say with this Chicago Cubs team is that when we came into the year, um, my personal belief and my, my fear was that this offense wasn't going to be enough and that we were going to be down in the seventh or eighth inning, three runs, looking for a three-run homer, and we were going to come up empty and we might lose some close games. To, to my great shock and surprise is that since the All-Star break, this Chicago Cubs team, I believe, is the second-best offensive team in baseball. Um, in the modern game right now, that is a great thing to take into October and into the playoffs. Um, but to harken back to the tried and true, what it will come down to is starting pitching. And when you say prepared, that's the part that probably has me concerned the most, is that as of right now, they're getting it done, right? I mean, Javier Assad has been fantastic. Jordan Wicks just came up for his cup of coffee and struck out nine guys. He should definitely get another swing at it for sure. Um, there's a lot of guys in the waiver wire right now that they might have to look into more specifically. Would a Lucas Giolito coming back to Chicago be interesting in a Cubs uniform? Would Mike Clevenger be interested in getting on 94, getting on the train and hopping off, you know, hopping off at Addison and maybe coming down over there to help them out? But when we talk about preparation, John, this would probably scares me the most is that right now it's working. But when you look at Stroman on the, uh, the injured list, when you look at the ineffectiveness of Tyone, when you look at, honestly, the age, and just honestly, it's a matchup situation with Kyle Hendricks more often than not. Does he have a good matchup on a mountain-to-mount basis? That's what probably worries me the most about a deep October run, um, is that are they – it's the magic dust. Are they going to just empty the cup and there's no more magic dust popping out of what they've done this season where they've pulled up guys from the bullpen, whether it's from the minors or wherever, and they bought guys and put them in the roles, and it has been a success. Albert Azulai, closer of the future. Didn't see that one coming in April, right? I mean, all of a sudden, um, that's an interesting piece that you can move forward with. Mark Leiter was on the waiver wire. Now he's your seventh and eighth inning guy. So, I mean, it's working so far. I personally think David Ross deserves a little bit more credit than probably Cubs Twitter would like to give him. But, again, there's a month left to play. Um, This team likes each other. I like watching this team. This is one of the more fun teams that I've rooted for in a long time, we're always going to put the Cubs World Series team apart because that one's just super special. But this is maybe the best Cubs offense I've seen since, gosh, maybe 9 outside of the 15-16 team. Um, and that's been a huge surprise. But, man, John, I'd love to hear your take, too, as well, where there's something about this team, and I'm also worrying that, you know, are we going to look at the gas tank about two miles away from the World Series on-ramp and we're going to run out of gas? That's my biggest fear right now. Yeah, Joey. Uh, I am fully with you on all that. I think what scares me the most about the Cubs right now is their pitching. Uh, Justin Steele has been amazing. And although we kind of saw flashes of this last year, you know, certainly in his 24 starts, a 3.1 DRA, that was great. Didn't expect him to be probably the runner-up or maybe even the winner of the NL Cy Young Award. But after right him, there. after him, man, we got a lot of questions and a, and a lot of problems. I mean, Marcus Stroman, even before the IL, was horrendous uh, over his past maybe six, seven starts. Drew Smiley has been relegated to the bullpen. Jamison Tyone is probably the biggest waste of pitching money the Cubs have had since either Tyler Chatwood or Edwin Jackson. And Kyle Hendricks is back, and he's performing well. Uh, I think Hendricks is doing exactly what we expected. Uh, Hendricks is – I don't think he's ever going to be the – 2016, you know, ERA leader at 2.16, winning 16 games and being a Cy Young finalist. I think he's always going to be a solid three, maybe four, pitch to an ERA plus around 115, 120, which is actually good, but it's never he's never going to be an ace again. I think Justin Steele has formally claimed that title for now. So they don't have enough starting pitching right now. Now, as you said correctly, uh, Javier Assad has done a great job kind of filling in um, and maybe, you know, he gets more opportunities here down the road. Jordan Wicks had a great first start. And, yeah, Lucas Giolito is on the waiver wire. I would love that pickup. Uh, you know, I know he's done really bad over in L.A. Um, I, I don't really know why. But why not give Lucas Giolito a shot? Give him five starts and see what he does. And if he totally bombs and blows it up, get rid of him at the end of the year. Why not? I, I don't think there's a problem with that at all. Uh, but their starting pitching is certainly weak. I, I want to give them credit, though, and I want to give somebody credit who – People said should be fired uh, earlier this year. That's Jed Hoyer. And I, and I want to go back. I'm going to go back to 2020, okay? Theo Epstein, I know there's a lot of love, and I know he won the World Series. He abandoned this team. He saw the writing on the wall. He knew what was going to come. 
I mean, he saw that, okay, my core that I put together is just not working. Bryant, Baez, Rizzo. And now, ironically enough, where they've gone, they still suck. So it goes to show that the right decision was made at that time by Jed Hoyer, not Theo Epstein. He was gone. Theo saw the writing on the wall and then left his good friend Jed out to dry. And then everybody criticized Jed for moving on from the superstars, moving on from Wilson Contreras as well, who now is sucking. Kyle Schwarber was in negative war. All these guys, everybody was so attached to and made such a big deal about. Jed Hoyer said, no, we're getting rid of them. And now look where they stand. They're ahead of schedule. This team should not even be close to a playoff appearance today. Maybe 500, you know, maybe a little bit under. You know, 75, 80 wins, I'd be like, hey, good job. They're, they might win 87 games, 86 games. They have a wild card spot as of today. And this roster is very ragtag in nature. A lot of these guys are plug and play. Hey, uh, like you said, Albert Azalein, I criticized him two years ago for being a huge bust, and now he's found his way back as a closer. So a lot of these guys are just kind of filling in and getting opportunities and making the most of them. They're being put in situations in which both Ross and Hoyer have delegated and they're, they're performing and succeeding. I think Jed Hoyer deserved a lot of credit for where this team is today, where they're going to be going moving forward. Because I'll tell you what, as it stands today with this team, if they sign a big money guy or bring in a, you know, maybe a nice bat next year, you know, free agency, maybe two starting pitchers, they could win this division next year easily. And they could win this division freaking now if they decide to. And they, if they show up and, you know, kick the crap out of Milwaukee in these last couple of weeks. So imagine if they bring in, two bona fide starters, maybe two sluggers uh, on the field. Maybe they keep Bellinger. I don't know how much he's going to cost, but maybe there's a conversation. That is going to be really nice, and they could win 90 games next year. So I, I just think I want to make it clear, Jed Hoyer deserves more credit than what he gets and what he was getting earlier this season. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up because um, for those of you watching for the first time, me and John have done several shows together. Oh, yeah. And, and about 98% of the time, we agree on something. And I think our biggest disagreement that we've ever done shows with is that at the time I was actually the one I, I said, do not trade the core away. And when I say the core is I wanted to keep Schwarber and Rizzo. Now to be very fair, Schwarber has 37 home runs and 85 RBIs. Rizzo's not really working out. The long short of it is, is John that honestly, like at the time that decision was correct. Your take was correct. But here's the thing that really bothered me, and this is why I didn't like the Cubs core being traded away, was that when you're in a city like Chicago and you're coming off a World Series that you won in 2016, my biggest fear was that they were going to start selling us and shoveling into our mouths this, give us four or five years, let's bring the kids up, let's take our time here. Whoa, 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 concert this weekend, Bruce Springsteen, huh? no worries. And you know what, though? After last year, and last year, honestly, really pissed me off because they did that last year, John. That's exactly they what did. they did. They, they, they did not. They punted last year when Cubs fans do not deserve that, only less than a decade away from a World Series. But what you saw them do this year, which I applaud Jed Hoyer for, is which I, which I always advocated for, was that if you're going to trade away the core, what is, what's, the, what's the solution? What's coming in next? What are we replacing it with? And you see it across the, the Major League Baseball. You see it with teams like the Boston Red Sox. The Cardinals sometimes do it very astutely. They can go out and they can find veteran guys, maybe buy low on a couple of dudes. You know, you bring in a Dansby Swanson, who strangely has been probably the best shortstop among the four this particular season. No one really saw that coming. But you know what? They put their money where their mouth is, and they brought in some actual professional players to up the level of play this year. And lo and behold, this is what you get. And all of a sudden, the young guys, start ascending up to that talent a little bit. Then you get the owls alive in the, in the building and you start to get them. So I agree with you, man. I think Jed Hoyer deserves a lot of credit that after last year, he said, you know what? We're not going to turn this into a four or five year different thing. You know, I'm going to go out, I'm going to spend some money. You know, the tie on pick was a bad move. We, neither of us like that at the particular time. It hasn't worked out, but you know what? I am happy that they're spending money on the North side. And this is what you get. You get really fun games like today. When the Chicago Cubs take two out of three from the Milwaukee Brewers, they're now three games out of the division. They're in the wild card right now. And look, just to wrap up maybe this burning question that we have with how prepared are the Cubs for the playoffs, I mean, sometimes it's important, Cubs fans, to look outside of your own yard and look around the league. Right now, we, we, can, hit, we can say unquestionably, Dodgers, Braves, and I'm even going to throw the Phillies in there right now. Offensively right now, they got a hell of a line, all three of those teams, right? But you know what? The Chicago Cubs, they're scoring runs this year, okay? 
So go up and down those rotations with the Dodgers and the Braves and the Phillies, and don't tell me for a second that the Chicago Cubs can't hang in some of these series with some of these teams. I mean, Urias has had a bad year with the Dodgers. you got Clayton Kershaw and Bubble Rapp at all times. They're piecing it together. Spencer Strider's got a lot of strikeouts, but he's getting hit all over the ballpark. And after Zach Wheeler, you know, name me a guy that scares you in the Phillies rotation. So, I mean, I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. They put themselves in a great position in this mix of veterans and young players coming up at the same time is working. And whenever you get rid of somebody, whenever you trade the Cubby Core or whatever it was, it was the correct decision at the end of the day. It just took a year for them to do probably what I would have preferred, which is just bring us up to base level, baby, and get competitive. And that's where we are. And um, it, it's just been really fun. I think this next month is going to be fantastic. We play the Giants, we play the Diamondbacks. Let's go. I'm ready to roll. I, I'm, I'm hyped. I'm hyped on Cubs today, John. I'm very hyped. Hey, you know, I feel the same way. And, I, you know, as I say a lot of the time, I, I'm not a big fanboy per se over here, but I, I just, I like this team. They're fun to watch. Uh, you know, as you, you know, they, they, there were no great chemistry. Yes. Exactly. No expectations, nothing, no expectations. And these guys are coming together and playing exceptionally well. And I know you had mentioned they're spending money and this kind of goes right into our next question here. You brought this up. I want you to lead it first. Cubs plus Otani equals what? Are the Cubs really going to be in on Shohei Otani at the end of this year? Equals a rapidly a rapidly intriguing situation, John. Is this what <laughs> I will say right now? Roll the clocks back about two months ago. Shohei Otani was putting up one of the best months that we've ever seen from a baseball player since Babe Ruth. And Jeff Passan wrote a very wonderful, eloquent article trying to break down, did he actually just play better than Babe Ruth for an entire month? And at the time, the numbers were getting insane, right? 600, 700 million, 12 years, how many years? 30 years. Let's sign it like a lease on a mortgage on a house. Like, he's so funny, it's a new mortgage. Uh, let's do that. Um, and, and, and to be honest with you, what has happened, and I don't want to – this is going to sound probably glib or sports fan of me, and, and I never wish injury upon anyone. But what has happened in the last couple of weeks is probably the best piece of news that the Chicago Cubs could have ever gotten. And that's the fact that Shohei Otani probably will one day pitch again. But guess what? Anyone that wants to give him $500, $600 million, good luck. And I'd love to find the person that's going to do it right now. And all of a sudden now the price range They've now come back a little bit towards the Chicago Cubs, which is why I brought this up as a burning question of now they actually can be in the conversation. They entertained the idea when he came over and he chose the West Coast. I mean, I live in L.A. right now. Everyone and their sister and brother says the Dodgers, done deal, baby. Don't worry about it. But I would push back on that and I would say, Shohei, if you want to be on a team, of faithless people, you know what I mean? If you just want to be another number across the large numbers, the Dodgers are like the Yankees, right? There's so many guys. You're never going to be the greatest Dodgers, Shohei, but you can become the greatest Cubs. You can have that conversation if he goes out there and performs and eventually does come back and pitches well and leads his team to another World Series, and the dude would own this town. I mean, literally own this town. And obviously we know because we grew up here, if you – play sports in Chicago, do it professionally, and you play hard, and you're a good person, which I think Shohei Otani is, we will love you. We will love you forever. You will never have another stake. You will never pay for another stake in the rest of your life. So, you know, I, I do think it's really, really interesting, and it opens up this can of worms, and I'd love to get your perspective of, can the Cubs go after Shohei Otani and still pursue retaining Cordy Bellinger? Do we have to choose? Is it door number one? Or is it door number two? And maybe which way would you be leaning right now? Yeah, you know, you brought up a great point. I didn't even think of this. Um, and again, we don't wish injury on anybody. But because Shohei got hurt, the price certainly went down. Because it's a UCL injury. Uh, he has to get Tommy John again. Uh, we're talking about maybe 18 months till he pitches again. Now, he could hit. He's hitting 300 right now. He might still – I think he still will win the MVP just on his hitting alone. He's the highest OPS in baseball. Obviously, highest war in baseball. Highest OPS plus. Uh, he's there as far as MVP conversation based on hitting alone. This is his best hitting year um, ever because when he won the MVP back in what 2021, he had 257. Now he had the 970 OPS and you know 46 home runs. But it's nice to see that average come up. I'm an old school guy. I like to see the average, and he's certainly coming through and doing it. But like you said, it begs the question: Well, how much is he going to get? 
I think, relatively speaking, 400 to 500 is probably more realistic than, hey, he's going to become the first billion-dollar player, which there were talks about that. There were articles written about that, and that was put out there to the press. I can guarantee you, and I know this sounds – the Angels are not bringing him back. They are not going to pay that much money to bring him back. They're a cheap-ass organization, he, he and they don't care. Back. Yeah, gone. Yeah, he's not going back there. So the Cubs certainly could be in contention. But in regards to your second question, I think there may have to be a choice. I, I don't know if it's smart for the Cubs to pay Cody Bellinger $200 million. They got Dansby Swanson on the books, and then they pay Shohei 500 I think that's too much money tied up in three specific guys, and then the rest of your team may or may not suffer. I know there's no salary cap, but there's a luxury tax, and there's only so much money the Cubs could spend. They're not going to pull a Steve Cohen and spend $350 million. They're just not going to do it. And I don't blame them for doing that. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. And look at what it got Cohen in the Mets anyway. So I think there's going to have to be a choice. I'd rather have Shohei all day over Cody Bellinger. And this might be a little bit controversial, but Joey, I'll pass this one back to you. I wouldn't even go near Penge, uh, Cody Bellinger. I wouldn't even do it. And mm. here's why. And mm. hear me out on this. I have a sick feeling this is a one-year fad because although Bellinger – had a 2019 MVP year, 2020 through 2022. I mean, he was one of the worst hitters in baseball, literally one of the worst hitters in baseball. I do not buy the fact that just after this 100-game cup of coffee, because really, unless you're doing this for 120, 130 games, it really doesn't matter to me too much. I mean, it's nice that he's contributing, but he's not doing this every day, and he won't. There, There are not enough games left in the season to say that he did. I have my reservations about seeing Cody Bellinger doing this moving forward. Uh, Scott Boris came out uh, yesterday, put out a couple of quotes about Bellinger saying, see, you know, I told you he was good enough. Uh, the Dodgers played him hurt, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the, the fact of the matter is his swing was messed up. Now, he had a shoulder issue, had a rib issue, but the angle on his swing in L.A. was all jacked up after 2019, and he finally found that stroke again here in 2023. I just have my reservations about Cody Bellinger doing this consistently for five more years. I have a sick feeling at one point, at one point, maybe not next year, maybe not in two years, but maybe in five years, he may sink back down to that 250 or even 200 level hitter. Now I could be wrong, but I want to put that out there and pass it back to you. Uh, it's very fair. I mean, we can't have a conversation and say, you know, I don't want to pay Shohei Otani because his arm and he can't pitch or whatever. And in the same breath say, let's give Cody Be- Bellinger the freight train um, because he's healthy now. I mean, you, you, you eloquently put up the fact that I think it is very fair and true that the guy was crushing the, the baseball, hit a home run, did some sort of weird shoulder thing in the dugout, and then ever since then he wasn't the same. So it's tough, right? I mean, and that's, and when we talk about Shohei coming back to the Cubs, Cody might be moving away from the Cubs, moving away from the Cubs because of how well that he's playing right now. And if he leaves the team into the playoffs and get you over 100 RBIs. I'm with you, man. There's already a lot of reports and rumors that, that the Yankees want to throw the boat at him. Um, and what is the number that makes you a little nervous? For me, um, it isn't the five years so much as it's probably that annual salary that you're talking about. The only difference between probably Shohei and Cody that I can kind of wrap my head around is that a couple of things have been really surprising, and I even live out here in L.A., is that I knew Cody Belliger could play defense, but honestly, he's been fantastic, not just in center, but also in first base, too, as well. It solves an issue for the Cubs that they've been trying to figure out since they got rid of Rizzo. Um, and that's not hard to figure out and come by. Um, he's a left-handed bat. I really do enjoy that. The thing that I would probably maybe push back on a little bit, and look, I don't have the answer for, is that Cody Bellinger with two strikes, or in moments when his account isn't in his favor, he's done a wonderful job of breaking down his swing. And he isn't Javi biasing. They only got one swing, and this is the best that I got. The guy's been breaking down his swing and then trying to flip the ball and get some base hits going the other way. Now, John, as we know in baseball, that could be a fleeting enterprise. I mean, the guy's in a groove right now. He's feeling it like that. He's staying in it, and good for him. It's helping out the Chicago Cubs. But as you mentioned, when it goes bad and when he's in a slump, does he go the other way, right? Things are going good right now. That's awesome. But when things go wrong, I mean, things went really south for him in Los Angeles. They didn't even want to bring the dude back. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's really tough thing to wrap your head around, especially when you throw in the mix that his, hit, his, his swing was all messed up, and now some of the coaches that were in the Dodgers organization now are with the Cubs, and now he's found his swing again. Wouldn't it be so nice if we could just find some common ground here, 
keep Cody Bellinger in a Cubs uniform, but not have to pay the Scott Boris top dollar for it <laughs> in the end. Um, it's going to be something to really watch, like towards the tail end, man. And, and I'm with you, man. If you can, if you say to me, we bring back Cody Bellinger, we bring back Candelario on a very cheap, easy deal for two or three years and have some money left over to get a little bit more pitching. Maybe that's the way that the Chicago Cubs can go instead of paying it all towards Shohei Otani. But man, it's an interesting case. And to Cody Bellinger's credit, man, that price tag keeps going up and up and up. And maybe it keeps going up all the way through October. So it's a great question and something to keep an eye on. Yeah, and quick comment on Candelario. Uh, when I saw that trade, I just laughed because I followed him since the Cubs got rid of him. Because I knew, I just had this feeling he was going to be good. You know, I had this feeling deep down. I'm like, man, you know, this guy's going to stick it to Theo and Jed at the time. And he certainly did. And now they actually had to pay to bring him back. Maybe you should have just kept him around the whole time because the, the plan was, I remember Candelario, he, I, I don't, he didn't come up as a third baseman. He kind of, he played the corners. He played a little bit of second base. They had him kind of rolling all over in the minor leagues. Yeah. I think the big problem no, was there's no, nowhere no to power. put him. Yeah, he had no power during the launch angle era, John. So he was useless, <laughs> right? Right. Um, but yeah, but when you look back, man, it is actually pretty incredible. You know, they, you know, they tossed off Jorge Soler. They got rid of Starlin Castro. They got rid of Candelario. They traded these and traded Aloy like it was nothing because they had an embarrassment of riches at the time. And and luckily, Candelario's come back to make himself a wonderful professional baseball player, and the Cubs get to benefit from it finally. You know, you mentioned Aloy and Cease, and this will be our last question of the evening. Um, the White oh, Sox. All right, everybody. Buck it up. Okay. The White Thank Sox you. have hit rock bottom. The White Sox are, they, they've imploded. Uh, they are a lapping. Right, let's go through the series of events. I'm going to set this up correctly, and then we'll talk about what's going on. So there was a report a day before Han and uh, Kenny Williams got fired, of course, from Bob Nightingale, who's a friend of this program, so I don't want to say anything bad about him. But I hate that Jerry uses him to, to get out information. It's so dumb. Just come out and say something. Anyway, there's a report saying that there are internal conversations, blah, blah, blah. Next day, goodbye, Kenny. Goodbye, Rick Hahn. Tony LaRussa comes back into the fold, and he is somehow a consultant in regards to Pedro Graffol. There was a report that Pedro Graffol would be fired. Now he's supposedly safe. They plan on promoting Chris Gatz and bringing in Dayton Moore. Chris Gatz is the mastermind behind all these busts of prospects the White Sox have today. Somebody shot a freaking gun inside Guaranteed Rate Field. And, oh, yeah, not to mention the fact that they want to move, maybe to Nashville or maybe to the Chicago suburbs. So putting all of that in context, Joey, what the hell is wrong with the Chicago White Sox? Um. You did a great job of running that down. Um, I just like, I need to take a breath. It's like a weird, like whiplash, like car injury. Um, so just full disclosure, obviously, for anyone that's maybe watching me for the first time. Um, I grew up, I, I love baseball deeply. It's probably my number one favorite sport. So I grew up a Chicago Cubs fan and a Chicago White Sox fan. Um, and in these fluid 2023 times, I feel like that, that should be accepted. And you know what? Admired because the Cubs used to play during the day. Sox played during the night. I'd get six hours of baseball a day. So I love both teams equally. Anyway, I digress. Just putting that out there. Um, this is, this is, I mean, this is rock bottom, dude. I mean, this is like, I mean, God, we had John Cruck at the end of his rope playing first base for us. We brought in Manny Ramirez to try and give us a spark when he was taking God knows what injecting into his body. We had Terry Bevington as a manager. We had two guys drunk run onto the field and beat up a first base coach. And this is rock. This, I mean, this is – we're here, man. And what a swift fall it has been, right? Because I was one of the many people that in 2019, 2020 uh, – excuse me, 2020 more specifically, I said that this team's window was wide open. I was pushing Ricky Renteria out the door because I thought they needed a real deal manager out there. Um, I was skeptical, but I wasn't critical of the Tony La Russa thing at first. They won 93 games that year. They were the best team in Major League Baseball through the first half of the year, and that is an undisputed fact. Didn't get it done in the playoffs. And then last year was just kind of a middling disaster with a lot of off-the-field stuff that didn't mean anything. But to see what has happened this year, um, I'm not a Pedro Grafal fan, but shame on these players, right? I mean, have some pride for crying out loud. I mean, look, go up and down the list. We gave a bunch of these guys 60 to $65 million to play baseball. We paid you handsomely before you even did anything. 
and now you're trotting to first base or you have a certain player on the team who has a back issue that the manager goes, I don't know, it's kind of a mystery. One day he's okay, and the next day he isn't. We'll either shut the dude down so you can trade him in the offseason or tell him to get out there and play baseball, which he is now, by the way. And all of a sudden, oh, great. He's kind of hitting the ball hard right now, Yoan Moncada. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say his name? Oh, I did. Um, <laughs> I'll, throw it back to, I'll throw it back to you and Orlando on this, you know, John, because this is my biggest fear right now. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, man, Chris Guest, um, status quo, typical White Sox. Um, the thing that terrifies me the most about Chris Guest, and this is a little hot take island here right now, is that um, – is Jerry's going to sell the team. Um, Jerry's going to sell the team, and we're going to have to make some, you know, we're going to have to come to grips, hopefully. Hopefully not. I do never want to see this to happen, but the whole moving thing, I think, is a possibility because every new owner has that right to do that. And what do you do when you put your house, this is two house references in one show, so good on me, but what do you do when you put your house up on market, right? You don't hire an interior decorator that's going to come in and go, I'm going to change everything. Just give me six to six months to a year, and I'm going to change the kitchen. I'm going to do the whole thing over, and everything's going to be great, and you're going to want to keep your house. You don't do that, right? You hire someone to keep just the train on the tracks while you entertain offers for a sell to allow the new owners to come in and do whatever they want to the house. I think the moving the ballparks thing is some sort of weird PR last-ditch effort to show that, you know what, we tried. Oh, Jerry tried to keep the team in town, and just because because we didn't want a new stadium. A stadium, I mean, God forbid, they just built a new one 25 years ago, okay? Like the cell, you can talk what you want about the neighborhood. I personally, I like Bridgeport. I like the neighborhood. I like the ballpark. I think the food is great. I guess currently security sucks, but we can work on that. We just hire new people. Um, but in general, the Chris hiring thing, I don't think has anything to do with baseball. Unfortunately, I think it has to do with them positioning themselves to sell the team. I'm crossing my fingers and hoping that it works out and the brighter days are ahead for White Sox fans. But man, this is as dark as it gets. And I don't know if I see a tunnel right now. Uh, what say you and what's your feeling on the Chris Guest hire? You put that so eloquently, Joey, because it's a hundred percent true on all of it. I mean, this is, yeah. I mean, you, Manny Ramirez coming in. I mean, none of this compares to where they are today and where they stand as an organization. I think it's one of the dumbest moves in the world to hire Chris Getz. Chris Getz, you know, okay, this is not a personal attack. I'm disclosing it. Sucked as a player. Big bust. Yeah. Huge bust. Comes in, somehow becomes an AGM and, you know, director of the minor league program. Want to make sure I make that clear. Look at these players on this team today. I'm going to rant here for a minute. Look at freaking Tim Anderson, Oscar Colas, Yohan Moncada, Lucas Giolito, who's not even here anymore. Dylan Cease, who's having a down year. All of these guys went under... Chris Getz, to be developed, he was leading the program in the minor leagues and became an AGM. All of these guys, at some point or another, spoke to Chris Getz and were under his control and command. And they all suck. I mean, it's failing upwards to me. It's failing upwards. You can't even develop a freaking pitching or hitting prospect, and now you're going to become the GM. What the hell's going on? So I, I don't, I don't get it. And I, you know, I get it in terms of it's Jerry. I get the it's Jerry thing. I totally understand that, and I see it a mile away. Dayton Moore, love that move. Dayton Moore is a proven winner, World Series winner, good with small market teams, although the White Sox are a big market. They play like a small market team. I have no issue with Dayton Moore, but I have a big yeah. issue with Chris Getz. I have a gigantic issue with Chris Getz because there's – why are you rewarding somebody for sucking that much? You mean Mercedes, the Urminator, freaking bust. All of them, they suck. And all these people had to go through the gatekeeping of Chris Getz to make it to the major leagues. So he's responsible partially for all of this. I know we, yeah, Kenny, Rickon, oh, yeah, they're definitely responsible. But believe it or not, which, you know, they were the full guys. They deserve to be fired. But technically, if I was Jerry Reinsdorf and I was really doing an audit of my entire organization, I would have fired Chris Getz, too, because all these players who went through his gatekeeping suck in the major leagues, which proves that there's even a developmental problem with the White Sox at the minor league level, let alone what they're doing at the major league level. So that's how I feel about Chris Getz. And, I, you know, 
Not many people yeah. are discussing that specifically, but it needs to be said. And this is not a personal attack. This is just the truth about what's happened under his direction. Well, and when you talk about the development, now let's roll it forward. So now he's going to evaluate not just the value <laughs> for these players, but who's going to be on the roster moving forward. Because in my opinion, you got to pick, pick between Makata and Jimenez. If you got rid of both of them, I'm not going to shed a tear, but I'll pick between one. You got to get rid of one of them. One of them yep. cannot be on the team next year. I'm sorry. I don't think Tim Anderson probably should be on the team next year. You have to really turn this puppy over. There's a possibility that this Chicago White Sox team could lose over 100-plus games uh, next year and be the laughing stock. Them and the A's, baby. Tune in uh, for the two, the White Sox and the A's racing <laughs> to the bottom next year. And, and and on top of that, too, as well, I mean, God, it's just <laughs> it's in such it's in such uh, it's in such disarray. You know what I mean? So now you're asking him to not only just do that, but also evaluate too as well. I mean, it's a really tough spot um, for a White Sox fan to be in, fans to be in. And I think that there's going to be a lot of these weird narratives about it. You didn't come to the ballpark or we're trying to restructure or trying to figure different stuff out. I mean, it's so tough. And here's the worst part about it, John. Even if they, even if they hired Chris Getz at the end of the day, you're telling me that over the next month or two, you're not bringing in top assistants from the Rays, the Braves, the Dodgers, the Orioles. I mean, that's just off the top of my head of teams that have consistently shown over the last five to eight years, we can lose a player and replace him with another. We can grow, we can develop, we can figure things out. We have a pitching structure that we use in place to help a player like Michael Kopech achieve his potential. We have none of that in place on the south side. So unless Chris Getz has been holding it hostage in a folder, not letting anyone see it, which shame on you if you've done that in the first place, because I don't think he has that folder. But if you do, what, what, what plan is that? And what are you learning from the other organizations that are doing it right? I mean, one of the smartest things that the Chicago Cubs did over the last couple of years is, well, we don't develop pitching. What do we do? We went and got Carter Hawkins from the Cleveland Indians, who literally grow pitchers on trees, right? Corey Kluber, see you later. Clevenger, don't need you. See you later. We have Bibby. We have, you know, Carrasco, see you later. Every year, they roll that ship over. And they brought him in, and now we're starting to see some guys actually do some stuff. It's not a coincidence, John. And that's the biggest thing, and that's the biggest bone that I have to pick with the Chicago White Sox, man. It is, it is a bummer. But on a positive note, Jose Abreu, you got out while you could, buddy. You got out <laughs> while you could. You're in a beautiful state of Texas. No income tax. You don't have to deal with this mess anymore. I hope we give you a statue one day. But, man, it's sad, dude. It's really sad. I love being a White Sox fan, man. It's a great fan base. When they're rocking and rolling, it's great. Right now, it is the opposite of that. And I am terrified to see what happens next. And one final note for you, Joey, and you can respond to this if you'd like. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't stop laughing and I'm even laughing, I'm laughing thinking about it right now. They brought in Tony LaRussa to consult and listen, you know, and you know how I talked about LaRussa. You know how I felt about him. I was a supporter and I thought he shouldn't have ever, you know, he shouldn't have ever left. And I, maybe I backed him to a fault. That's on me. Fine. But I don't even agree with like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Tony La Russa just rises from the dust again, comes back out of the blue after he was, you know, gone for about really only eight months. I mean, seven, eight months. Now all of a sudden he's back and he's consulting and there's going to be a conversation with him and Jerry and Pedro about what went wrong and how to improve what happens next year. (laughs) Where did he even come from? (laughs) I don't understand it, man. I don't get it. I mean, what what was your reaction when you saw that? I mean, I, I, I was nonplussed. I'm, I'm socks desensitized, right? Like nothing should shock you anymore. If Hawk Harrelson gets named the GM tomorrow to right the wrongs of 81 and 82, <laughs> well, it, it's not going to shock me. The only thing that probably would shock me is if they actually probably did something that, man, I sound like a meatball when I say this, but it, if they gave Ozzy a shot, you know what I mean? If they gave Ozzy one more shot, and you know what? It's such a big mess right now that personally – 
I don't know if I'd be on board with it 100%, but I just don't think Pedro Gafal is the manager of the future. I don't think he's the manager of the now. So if you're telling me we're mopping up a mess for the next 12 to 18 months on the south side, um, bring it back to Ozzy, man. At least he's going to give you the truth, right? I mean, the results shall vary. It'll be on the, you know, on the thing on, and the asterisk there. Results may vary, but at least he's going to give you the unvarnished truth of who's in and who's out, right? If we're having an Italian evaluation problem, we have to find a guy who can at least evaluate motivation, right? I mean, that's, it's a two-pronged effort right now on the south side. It's a motivation issue. It's a talent issue. And, and look, like, we got to clean house a little bit, and I'll be damned. If Colson Montgomery is good and he really is like the next guy and the next centerpiece of the team, I'll be damned if we bring him up into this mess. God help us oh. all. Look what we oh. did to poor Andrew Vaughn. Guy can't grow a single hair on his head, and it's our fault. It's our fault, John. <laughs> I'm trying to have fun. I'm trying to have fun with the White Sox, man. There's there's nothing there. There's 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 nothing there's nothing there, and it, and it's and it's really sad, and um. And, uh, you know, I just don't understand. I don't understand how we got to this place. I, I got fooled into it like everybody else. I thought there was a lot of talent on that team. You need a lot more than talent, right? 100%. And, yeah, you know, I, I was roped into it, too. I had thought, and they were for one year, the superior team uh, in this city. But, unfortunately, like the Bears, until hopefully this time around with Brian Poles and Matt Eberflus and Fields and company – they do not understand the concept of sustained success. They understand the concept of we'll win once in every 10 years. What, what did Jerry say a couple of years ago? If you play in second, then everybody's still happy in that bull crap, right? So, so they know how to do that, but they don't know how to win every single year. And at this point, finally, I, I hope it's starting to catch up and at least jar them a bit and scare them because where they are right now, uh, it is the worst it's ever been on the South side by far. So uh, something to consider. <laughs> can't agree with you more i'm so sorry i'm so sorry but i 100 percent agree with you that it can't get any worse on the south side let me check my phone um, real quick yeah, no, okay, say, yeah. Th- we're okay we're okay for right yeah. now <laughs> on that note uh sorry to go to that dark place to end this show but we are going to end it right here um i, I want to thank all of you for tuning in we had a lot of you kind of comment in the chat and, and hang out with us which we really appreciate uh, a lot of you hung with us here tonight um, we're going to do this more often, especially as the bear season kicks off. Just uh, a quick plug. And just remember, guys, remember, this is a network now. It's not just me. And Joey's been putting out some great content over the summer when we kind of had him come aboard. Uh, him and Corey Wooten, former NFL player, former Bear, uh, NFL vet, also on Fox 32 and CHGO. They do a show every week called Believe in Bears. Joey does his own content on this channel as well. So you're going to be seeing a lot of him over this channel, especially during the bear season, in addition to myself. And um, follow him at Joey Sports Guy all over on Twitter and um, support his content too because he puts out some great stuff. And we're, we're very happy to have him um, a part of this journey and a part of this team as, as we move forward here on Sports Talk Chicago. Joey, any any last words from you before we wrap up? Um, okay. Uh, well, first of all, first of all, thank you so much for the kind words, John. Um, yeah. I'm so proud to be a part of the network. Uh, I'm so proud to be a part of the network that's going to have content from a guy like Clay Harbor, Corey Wooten the fantastic guests that you book on your show, um, the talent that you have in place to execute and make it happen, people that follow along and watch this show. You really do have to understand that I've seen it firsthand behind the scenes, how hard John works, how talented he is, and then he gets in front of the microphone and he gets an opportunity to entertain you guys. Thanks so much for checking out the show. Um, So excited, man. Uh, We're locking into Bears. We're going to have some Cubs come up in September. Fingers crossed, nothing confirmed yet, but we are going to have, obviously, we're going to have a season preview coming out with me and Corey in the next couple of days here on this channel. Stick around for that. We're also going to have a Bears-Packers preview. Uh, possibly a couple of former Packers coming on to our show for a little bit of a, I don't know, we'll see what happens here. Bloodshed? I don't know. You're going to have to tune in and figure it out. Um, and then my final thought here, because we did land on the White Sox. So all Chicago sports fans out there, just like, look, look at us for a second, all right? Images. Connor Bedard in a Blackhawks uniform. Justin Fields busting off a 75-yard run against the North opponent that put him up by seven in the fourth quarter to win the game. Albert Elzelay striking out a guy in the ninth inning, pounding his chest, feeling it, that passion, Wrigley going nuts, Cubs go, Cubs go, Cubs go. 
all over the place. All right, I'm building you up right now, and I will not mention the teams <laughs> by Jerry Reinsdorf at this particular time because it will just make you sad. But just those those images right there. Let that carry you through. I brought everybody back from the depths of uh, that White Sox chatter. Great to see you, John. Until the next time. Great way to end it, Joey. And uh, yes, until the next time, my friend, thank you all for watching. Hope you subscribe to the channel and hang with us. We're going to have some great Bears coverage for this season and overall Chicago sports coverage. Quick thank you, too, to John Meadows, producing, directing this entire thing. Getting those questions up, John, that was awesome, by the way. I didn't even, I, I kind of was watching here on the screen. We had the questions up uh, as each topic moved forward. Great production value uh, on his end as well. And uh, looking forward to seeing you all next time. So long from Chicagoland.